Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop, where every other week or so we head out to sea with Captain Nero to try a wine under his name. Yeah. I mean, he- heading out to sea is half, half right, I guess, since we are talking about Nero de Vola, which does come from the island of Sicily. So you need to cross at least some kind of body of water to get to this wine. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. So we're back, and we're back to wine, and we're back to talking about things that are Italian and have Nero in the name, yes. which of course means black. I mean, it comes in a black bottle. But it's... That's wine though. That's reds. Yeah, that's that's reds. Yeah. And um, I guess before we get into the name, because of course the Nero is in the name, and it... it literally translates to black of Avola, we need to go, well, what's Avola? Where's Avola? Who is Avola? It was a place. A a small town on the southeast coast of Sicily. And it was... This particular grape was discovered about several hundred years ago. (laughs) And it is, in fact, grown near Avola still to this day in the region of Sicily and is considered by many to be the most important red wine grape of the region. Now, yeah, like Sicilian wines are some of the best in the world. And of course, it is named after the town of Avola, where it's not grown in the town. The town is very small. It is grown near the town. But some believe that it's not actually from there, that the Nero de Avola variety was first taken to Italy by the Greeks around the 8th century BC when they began going there because of various issues that were occurring in Greece at the time (laughs) and uh, was actually originally planted not near Avola but in the southern Italian region of Calabria which has led to the wine sometimes being referred to as Calabrese or Calabrese Nero the breezy black. There you go. Mm. It's still got black in the name. So these these grapes are must they must be very black underneath all that grape dust. Yeah, and certainly when you look at them, the skin is very dark. I mean, it's not black. No red wine grape is black, but it's well very dark. Could be. It's very dark. We haven't come across one that is black black yet. Yeah, not not that we've seen in pictures, because obviously we haven't looked at the actual grapes, but we've looked at pictures. We could. If you if you own a vineyard, let us know. <laughs> yes, we'd love to come and look at your grapes and drink of your wine. <laughs> and then talk about it. Yeah. We could do that too. Yeah, so um, while talking about wines, let's, let's mention that, of course, this does grow near Avola, and evidence of it growing there dates back to the 15th century, so not quite as far back as... It suggested that the Greeks took it over and put it in Calabrese, but they but so they that could still have happened. So that could have happened, yeah, before they began growing it almost exclusively near Avola in Sicily. Mm. And um, what's 
interesting, I guess, from an international perspective, which most of our listeners are not in Italy, <laughs> is that um, as with so many grapes that are only now being used to make wines by themselves, mm. it's a grape that was traditionally used to blend. Now, in, in Sicily, they have been using it to be a wine by itself for a long, long time. But in the rest of the world, it was used to blend with lighter to medium-bodied wines like Merlot and Cab Sauv. That'd do it. Um, that, that, well, of course, that changes the flavor of the wine you're drinking. Well, it does. So, and... so I wonder, I wonder how that, I wonder how that uh, would affect the flavor. Like, what particular notes does Nero Diavola add to? Other varieties. Indeed. And supposedly, if it's the Italian version, because there are differences in tasting, not based on where it's grown so much, because it's it's a it's a vine that likes hot, dry climates mm. and is quite resistant to adverse climatic conditions. So it's it basically comes out the same wherever you grow it as long as it's hot and dry. Interesting, but that, that's very different from the last grape we talked about. What was it again? But the like the last grape we talked about, matter it mattered a lot. Like it, what it, that the 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 minuscule differences made a huge difference in the end bro, end product. Yeah, whereas this grape actually does a really good job of even surviving drought. Uh, Chenin Blanc, that's it. Oh yes, Chenin Blanc was very yeah. touchy. Yeah, the the specific terroir of the location, the the terrain, made all the difference. It made or broke. It was a make or break kind of deal. Yeah, whereas the distinct flavor profiles that you will get in Nero Diavola relate more to the age of the vine. Oh wow! Than they do to because it it needs to grow in a hot dry climate. And as long as it's in a hot, dry climate, you're going to end up with one of two flavor profiles. Mm. So, hold up. Do we need to let this breathe? Oh, actually, that's a very good idea because we are drinking a 2017. Oh, yeah, that, that needs to breathe. Which we'll take the cap off and we'll pour briefly. So, while the... Well, the climate doesn't make an enormous difference. That's allowed it to grow in uh, several different countries like America, Malta, Turkey, South Africa, and of course, Australia, where it's been growing since 2001 after, as you'd expect in Australia, the grapes sat in quarantine for a good three years. Oh, wow. They were first brought over in 1998 and were cleared for planting in 2001. Oh, my goodness. And I'm I'm impressed that it's only had a history in Australia of about twenty years, or nineteen years yeah. if you want to be specific, because this yeah it's been around this grape's been around for five hundred years yeah long time, long time and uh, and like like we've mentioned before there's wines that are uh, more recently discovered that have been that have that made their way across to Australia. Much, much earlier. Mm, and possibly before we had such strict quarantine laws. 
that that probably has everything to do with it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so talk about the different styles, which relates not to where it's grown, but how old the vine is. The first is fragrant and crunchy, light to medium bodied, almost like a Pinot Noir. It's acidic, it's lightly tannic. And that is the one you're most likely to find in Australia because we have younger vines that haven't yet reached the point of producing the dark, densely colored wine that you'd find in an Italian Nero di Vola. Right, so these are the dry, slightly acidic, rounded, warm, and full-bodied wines. Yeah, so the the Italian ones, the ones that are on an older vine, Uh. which is probably what you might get in the US as well. They've been planting there for quite some time. They have uh, black fruits, spices, and weight similar to a Shiraz. Interesting. That's that's fascinating how the age of the vine makes a difference. For this particular varietal, we've seen no mention of vine age in any of the other wines so far. Yeah, it is very interesting to consider that... Because I mean, we, we know that the age of the vine does make a difference to the amount of fruit produced Mm. and I guess to the size of the fruit and potentially to how much juice the fruit makes. I suppose. But But again, in all that research, there's been relatively little mentioned. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so I'm, I'm interested to see if this matches the stereotypical flavor profile for a young vine Nero Diavola, which you would expect it to. Now, this particular one that we're drinking is, of course, an Australian. Mm. It is the Social Sunday Vinco Nero Diavola Heathcote. Now, so it's from Heathcote or? Um, yes, from Heathcote. The 2017 Heathcote Nero Diavola. Now, it says on the back of the label here, I could not stop eating this fruit when it arrived in the winery. Big, plump, flesh-filled, juicy morsels harvested on a freezing cold April night and fermented for 15 days. Now, for clarification here, for those of you in America, Canada, Europe, freezing cold by Australian standards (laughs) is probably around 5 degrees Celsius, maybe zero. And uh, we continue, though. (laughs) And fermented for... So, on a freezing cold April night and fermented for 15 days, seven days into the ferment, these now boozy berries had come to be known in the winery as the ultimate bar snack and were gobbled (laughs) with glee at all untimely hours of the day. All right, so it says nothing about the flavor at all. That's, that's, That's more of a craft beer thing. Yeah, very much so. Interesting. Um, the Heathcote region, for those Aussie listeners, is north of Melbourne and uh, east of Bendigo. So if you draw a line north of... Yeah, if you draw a line between those two places in those two directions, you will end up in Heathcote. And we can guess that it's hot and dry there. It must be in the hinterland where it's a little drier. Because a lot of Victoria is not hot or dry. Yeah. And I guess if they manage to make this grow in a place that isn't hot and dry, it may have a different flavor 
based on region. Maybe. Because, I mean, you, you usually get that, but some grapes are very specific about which climate they'll grow in. Mm. And, like, they say hot and dry. That could be Mediterranean hot and dry, which is cold and slightly humid for Australia. Yeah, well, that that is basically... We're, we're looking for Sicilian weather. Yeah. So, hot and dry Sicilian weather. <laughs> yeah. Not quite the same uh, same thing in Australia. Um, I'm, I'm, the, these glasses of the wine have been sitting in front of us for about five to ten minutes now. We've been letting them breathe. The colour is fantastic. Yeah. It's very, very light in colour. Mm, a very rich red. Mm. It's, it's got quite a strong smell and that's pretty much, it, it's taken over the, over the room we're recording in. Oh, it's so very fruity. Plus, I got new glasses, so I, I got newer, better glasses, and they they've made a big difference in the smell. Yeah, they're they're really funneling it out. Mm. More surface area, but sorry, yeah, they smell. It smells really fruity and white, like whiny. Yeah, well, yeah, fruity, whiny, sort of. I don't know, slight aromas of plum, maybe? Yeah, plum. Ta- smells like tannins. <laughs> well, yeah, we know there's going to be tannins in it. And if this is the Australian flavor profile, it's also going to be slightly acidic. Mm. But it's not going to be that full-bodied, beefy drink that you'd expect from an Italian version. It- it's not going to go blow for blow for it with a Shiraz. No, though they say... Mm. that this particular flavor profile pairs well with very full-flavored foods mm. like gamey meats, spicy curries, or osambuco. I, I can I can see that just from the smell. Yeah. Uh, shall we taste? Yes, let's. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, wow. Yep. That's definitely a little acidic. Yeah. That's interesting, though, because for for how dark it is, it's really light and fresh. Mm. Almost like a white wine. Yeah. Almost like a bold white. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if it weren't for the tannins, with my eyes closed, I could assume it's a white. Yeah, now this would have been an interesting one to drink in our true blind wine taste test. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't it? This would have really thrown us out. Not that I'm very good at picking wine anyway. <laughs> mm. Though it does have a, it's got, it's definitely got a red wine mouthfeel. Yeah, and it feels a little fleshy, but it's very, very light, like you, like we expected it was going to be. Yeah, and you certainly, you certainly wouldn't blend this with a light to mid-bodied. No, I, you'd I, use this to lighten a a full-bodied red, wouldn't you? Yeah, like I I can see, like it makes sense to use something that's got a similar flavor profile to a Shiraz to blend with a light to mid-bodied, but from these younger vines, 
This is a very light-bodied, mm. fresh, fruity. How how amazing is that? Yeah, like it completely changes the wine based on age of the vine. And does that mean that in a hundred years' time, Australian winemakers will be producing different flavors of Nero di Avola? Yeah, well, I, th- I think we already know the answer to that, and that's a resounding yes. Well, unless they decide they like the flavor profiles. So they'd have to and, start with new Yeah, and take vines. steps mm. to cycle their vines. Mm. But then, if the change is subtle, then, which it probably would be, then people in 100 years' time are not going to know. And it... This is a uh, speculative I, statement, I suppose. What if the Nero Diavola vines keep producing richer and more full-bodied reds as they age? And so the Italian wines in 100 years' time are even more full-bodied than they are now. That would be amazing to see because mm. yeah, it would be like the Super Saiyan version of Shiraz. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then the Australian ones, having been planted maybe 150 years more recent than the Sicilian versions, are, you know, what the Italian wines are now, but not what they will be. Who knows? Mm. I I do wonder that if that I do wonder about that question. Yes, only time will tell, and none of us will be around to know the answer. Mm. I wonder if this podcast will be around then. Maybe not with us producing it, but, you know, floating around the interwebs. Yes. One day someone might find this episode <laughs> drinking a Nero Diavola 500 years in the future and say, by Jove, they were right. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know if I'd pair this with strong, uh, strong flavored meals. Like I don't know if this would go with a strong curry, but definitely red meat or um, strong Italian style tomato-based dishes that could definitely work. But I think it's probably a little on the light side for those really strong meals. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Because supposedly the the regions that have had the most success mm. with this and producing it in a way that is, I guess, similar in flavor profile to the Sicilian versions have been the the McLaren Vale and Riverland regions. Oh yeah which have the most similar climates. And I'm curious what the... Because we, we know that like while obviously vine age makes a difference to this wine, climate makes a difference to every wine. Yeah. But by the sounds of it, not as much as you'd think for this particular varietal. Just going off what you said... Mm. Well, yeah, going off the the information that I located about the age of the grape making a difference to the flavor profile, well, age of the vine, obviously, if the grape was several hundred years old, it would make rubbish wine, but the age of the vine. 
Yeah. So even though it's mostly the same, wine, this vine, when it's grown in areas of higher elevations where cooler temperatures restrict the alcohol levels, it um, it can be uh, very smooth. All that that acid and uh, I suppose I suppose ethanol bite tends to go. Hmm. And potentially, I mean, what is the altitude of Heathcote? It's uh, an important question because. If this is in fact lighter and less acidic than one that might have come from the McLaren Valley region, mm. how acidic must that be? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Because, I mean, obviously the age of the wine itself makes a difference too. And this is a 2017. I have drunk this particular wine before from this particular maker. And it was a 2016. Mm. And that was earlier this year and i don't recall it tasting quite like this okay what was the difference well i I think it was a bit more full-bodied so interesting um no i can't find any reference to the elevation it's just 40 kilometers southeast of bendigo or east southeast of bendigo and 110 kilometers north of melbourne I can give you the GPS coordinates. 36 degrees, 55 seconds, sorry, 55 minutes south and 144 degrees, 42 minutes east. Okay, so it is to the north of the Great Dividing Range and is at elevations between 160 and 380 meters. That's not that much. It's not. But north of the Great Dividing Range means that it's going to be drier. Yeah. Um, the east coast of Australia has a literally great dividing range. It's a range, a mountain range that separates the inland, I suppose, plateau and the coast. And yeah, it travels most of the way up. Where does it stop? I think it stops at like um, north of Brisbane. Yeah. For sure. And um, what's interesting about this region, because as we know, the the soil makes a difference, mm. the water makes a difference, and this well, supposedly, yeah, well, and because this is a this is a vine that's happy to grow in a drought. It's happy to grow with very little water, mm. and apparently, the Heathcote region, the majority of the soil is Cambrian. It's red and deep, and has excellent water retention. Or maybe that's why it's do- it does so well there. Yeah. That that is interesting. These are nicer to drink out of. Yes. Mm. And when you get a nice mouthful and you get more of those flavors, it does have more of a has more of a fleshiness to it. Yeah. I suppose as it's breathing more as well. So maybe this could have done with another few years. Mm, well, and possibly it could have done with breathing for more than 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. As as well. Yeah. But you just don't know these things unless you already have a second bottle of it somewhere. Yes. Well, and certainly the, I mean, the 2016 that I drank this year mm. tasted different to this. Yeah. But it was a year older. Mm. And 
you know, the weather changes year to year. It does. It does. That's true. Yeah. Um. So we're nearing towards the end of the episode. I think it might be time to rate this new wine that I haven't had before. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm quite a fan of this varietal. Yeah. Like, because as much as I like a full-bodied, rich red, I also like this sort of red. Mm. It. I find it a little odd. It's, it's almost, it almost tastes like it's too light to be a proper red, and it's throwing off my, my taste buds in my brain. So It's not quite what you feel a red should be. Yeah. But it does have those red flavors and those red characteristics. Yeah, they're, they're there, but they, they take a backseat to the other flavors that are in this drink. Yes, it, it is fruity, it is acidic, it is light, mm. but it is also slightly spicy and fleshy. I didn't really get much spice out of it. It's, yeah, a little fleshy, you got a little bit of tannins, um, but yeah, just, I suppose not really my cup of tea. Um, I suppose to that point, I'm going to give this a seven. And I'm I'm going to give it an eight. I'm I'm quite fond of it. Mm. A rare moment where you rate something higher than me. <laughs> yes, you mostly rate wines higher than I do. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> um, like I can see that I can taste that this is a good wine. There's no no bad flavors there, and it tastes complex. But I suppose it's, this is coming down to my personal preference. Yes, I've I've got you too used to strong, spicy reds. Yeah. I do like a very spicy red. Spicy, fruity red. Mm. Mm. Yes, a nice Syrah. Still, still needs to warming up to those. Well, that Syrah that we had the other night... Was you, pretty damn good. Was pretty damn good. You yeah. enjoyed that. I thoroughly did. Yeah. Yeah. And what was it we had before that? That was the... Oh, I don't remember. It was a red as well. Yeah. Possum too. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. We had two reds. One yes. to pair with, one to pair with that bloody strong brie. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, what was it? Because I was going to. Oh, it's going to bug me now. <laughs> doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. Um. Yeah. Would I drink this again? Yeah. I would, but I would I would probably only drink it as a pairing to something. I wouldn't have this by itself again. Yeah, and I would probably have it by itself. Though as a general rule, if I'm drinking wine, it's with something anyway. The only time I really have it by itself is when we're recording the podcast. True, true. Otherwise, Same. you know, I'm having it with a meal or with cheese and crackers or mm. with you know, some kind of deli meat or something. Fair point. Fair point. Wine does lend itself well to being paired. It does. Yeah. Um, I haven't got anything else. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's it for me as well. All right. So if you liked what you heard, everyone, be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. 
We are a good drop all about alcohol on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Podcasts, or whatever they're called now. Uh, YouTube Music? That sounds right. Uh, Podbean, I think I said that. And Stitcher, Spotify, many more. And you can, of course, find us on the social platforms run by Zuckerberg, Facebook and Instagram. (laughs) As a good drop podcast. Hmm. Look out for that beer icon. And we have a good old-fashioned website where you can find out all about our previous episodes. We are up to 156 this one, this time. Um, Our website is agooddrop.com.au and if you've got any comments, questions, feedback, suggestions for future episodes or if you've got a favourite wine varietal, let us know. Our email address is agooddrop at gmail.com And do be sure to tune in to our next episode. We're having another blinder. It will be a wheat beer blind taste test. Wheat beer? Wheat beer. So probably German. Yes, I'm expecting at least one German in there because there's a lot of German wheat beers. They do Mm. like their wheat beers. They do some very, very good wheat beers. That they do. Along with some very, very good lagers. Oh, yes. Mm. I'm, I'm really excited. I love beer. Yes. It's been a while. I, I'm also excited. Yeah. Um, so, until then, cheers. Cheers.